HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. The great state of Wisconsin is home to the only master cheesemaking program outside of Switzerland. Learn more about Wisconsin's cheesemaking history at wisconsincheese.com. Hardcore is a new series from Heritage Radio Network. Over six episodes, we're taking a close look at the rebirth of American cider. Really, it wasn't until about 10 years ago that cider started to be revitalized in the United States. From the science of fermentation. So yeast, it's a fungus. It's a unicellular fungus. To the magic of terroir. What really excites us is thinking about communicating that very sort of spiritual aspect of knowing a piece of land. We're setting aside our cider donuts to gain a deeper understanding of this singular beverage. I love a cider donut. You don't have to have a cider donut with your cider, and I will die on that point. Subscribe to Hardcore wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to the Grape Nation, your weekly wine journey. Our guest is Victor Arutia. We'll talk to Victor about Rioja and Cune. We'll taste a Cune Grand Reserva and a Contino Reserva for our weekly wine sip. I'm your host, Sam Ben Ruby. Stay with us for the Grape Nation on the Heritage Radio Network. We bring wine to the people. Victor Arutia is the CEO of Compania Vinicola del Norte de España, also known as CVNE or CUNE. He is fifth generation and only the seventh person to run this family business. CUNE is a storied Rioja producer dating back to 1879. Under Victor's tenure, CUNE has combined traditional winemaking methods with modern innovation. Welcome to the Grape Nation, Victor. Thank you, Sam. Did I get that intro right? You did probably better than I would have done. Okay, good. All right, Victor, I want people to get a little context to who you are. Mm -hmm. So I want you to tell me about you. Tell me about your journey in life and wine Mm -hmm. that got you to where you are today, which is the CEO of Kune. Well, I did not follow the the traditional path into, into the wine business. Most people, particularly in family wineries, they get trained as winemakers, or vineyard managers, they study, they have a technical background, probably their parents did as well. In, my, in our case, it's, it's quite different. I studied law, I never really wanted to be involved in the wine business. My father was a reluctant uh, wine business person as well, he still is to a point, <laughs> of course he loves the business. Um, my grandmother, before him, she was a painter, she wasn't that involved in the business either. Her mother, where the business comes from, she wasn't that involved. She looked after the family. It was really her father. We need to go back five generations to find somebody who's actually really put his back in, into doing this. So it's a bit weird. 
But I suppose most family companies are, are unique to themselves, yeah? Everybody does, follows a different path. In my case, really, I, I never wanted to work at Cornet. I didn't think I'd work here. We have this thing in Spain, as you do in, in most countries, there's no, there's no primogenitor. So when somebody has a business and, and, and they pass away, the business gets divided amongst all the different kids, all the different children. This happens in, in most countries, and I'm, I'm glad it's done that way. Yeah? The, the English thing where everything goes to the eldest son, right? Th- that would actually work out fine for me because I'm the eldest son, but uh, <laughs> um, I don't think it's I don't think it's very fair on everybody else. And I, I like the way that we do things by dividing things evenly. So I thought, you know, I've got I've got plenty of brothers and sisters, and I've got cousins, I've got uncles, I've got everything. So I thought somebody else, probably better suited to the job, would end up doing this. But in the end. My uncle, who was a previous chairman, he had to retire quite soon for health reasons. And there was nobody really prepared to take over the helm of the company back in those days. And this was a good 16, 17 years ago. My father was busy doing other things. My brothers and sisters were younger than I was. So there really wasn't anyone available. So I was drafted into the position. Begrudgingly, or are you... I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to... You didn't? No, not really. I was, I was doing other things. I'd actually been studying in, in the US. I was working in business, and I was enjoying that. And this whole thing about moving into, moving back into a village, living in the village, working for your, for your family. So you've got a tough day at work, and you get, you get, you get home, and then you get a tough time at home as well over, over how things are going. So I really didn't want to do that. And perhaps I was a bit daunted by the responsibility of the whole thing. So, uh, how old were you? I was 29. So young. So still that. pretty young. Yeah. yeah. So be that as it may, I, I accepted uh, out of a sense of, of, of um, family responsibility, and of course the job opportunity was was, was terrific. I thought this, you know, we're going to run a company. Great. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I was I probably didn't think through, think things through as much as I as I should or as I do now. But I started and I signed a contract for a year and one year led on to another. And after about, I don't know, five or six years, we, we just gave up on the whole contract thing. I just continued. And I'm probably no good to do anything else right now, so I might as well continue what I'm doing. Till they find me, at least. So it's been, it's been 16 years? It's, it's been a long time. It started in 2003, February 2003. So. And you went in as the CEO? Yeah. As I started as... Uh, how, how is that? You take a job and in 16 years you don't get promoted. Actually, and my salary, you know, my salary... It, it went down. Well, it actually went, it okay. went down. After a couple of years it went down because I think I don't want to work as much, so I'll, I'll reduce the salary a bit. And I think in the end I ended up working just as much. Or, or maybe not, who knows. So but, where is your head now? I mean, you're very much settled in, you're very much committed. It must be a proud thing to be running, you know, the family business. It, it, it's extremely proud and I do see myself as one of the things that makes me proudest is that we are flying the flag for our country if you see our wines our, all our Kume wines you'll see the Spanish flag on them and you can think well this is a bit glib you know what, you think you're an ambassador for your country but in a sense I am and my country is a, is a venerable old country a bit like our like our company like Kume obviously on, on, in the grand scheme, scheme of things we don't actually have that many people flying the flag for our country in Spain. We're a country that doesn't have any natural resources. We have wonderful things, but most of these things don't travel. You know, our tourism, our cathedrals, our art, it's all in Spain. Our cuisine, right. most of the good restaurants are in Spain. You need to go there to see them. And I encourage people to go and do this all the time. Is this something that you move towards or the family always felt that along with the company, the country, I think you know, to we've share? Always, we've always done that. We, we, we have a letter from the royal household in Spain in the 19th century allowing us to use the Spanish flag as our symbol. The fact that, that we deliberately avoided having our family name in, in the company's name you mentioned it right. before, Cune, it's a mouthful, yeah? It stands for Wine Company from the North of Spain. It, it's cumbersome and long, and it's impersonal. But I think, at the same time, it's also... I'm not sure what the right word here is. I think it's... I, I love the fact that it's so anonymous. The fact that it's... Right. You know, it's not a one-man's project. This is not... That's where things have been going. Yeah, and you see that a lot sometimes with, with many wineries anywhere in the world. Some, some maverick creates a winery, they create a wine, they make amazing wine, then he retires or sells the business or passes. 
then what happens afterwards? It's just not the same, is it? Right. Those right. businesses. This it, is set up in a way where. Exactly. It's, it's set up in a way. It's was, about the wine. I was taking a walk this morning, looking at St. Patrick's Cathedral here in New York, and I was thinking, well, who built this? Yeah, there's no signature on, on the building. Yeah, it was made by hundreds of people, and good, it's been it's been good there, analogy. It's been there, not forever, but it's been there for a long time, and hopefully it'll be there forever. Yeah. Yep. It, it, and but there's no single person that's responsible for it. Yeah? Right. It just gets handed like, on, yeah? like Trump Tower. <laughs> <laughs> Oof. All right. Let's, so that that brings focus, us up. Let's to, focus on the wine sound. That right. <laughs> that brings us up to current. So before we talk about Cune, I want to talk a little about Rioja. Mm. I want to talk about the wines and all that, and then we'll get deep into everything. So obviously Rioja is in your blood. Um, let's talk about as a winemaking region. All right. Mm-hmm. Tell me, because you must through osmosis and practice, you know, know all of this. Tell me, so people understand the area, tell me a little about climate, geography, terroir, sure. grape varietals. That That is only relevant, you know, to Kune. Yeah. I mean, what are you dealing with? And, you know, later on we'll talk about multiple sites that you have and all that. But talk, sure. talk regionally. First. Regionally, Rioja is in north Spain, okay? So people often, when they think about Spanish wines... They think of Mediterranean wines, wines that are, that are hot, alcoholic, powerful, dark and concentrated. Yeah, and that's that's fair enough. A lot of Spanish wines are like that. But we mustn't forget that Rioja, at least the northern part of Rioja, where we make, where we own our vineyards and we make wine, the influence there is very Atlantic. You know, I've seen the tractors come in with snow on them with, wow. with the harvest at some point. Yeah, back in the day. Mm. Well, in 2013, that was the last time. So the influence is Atlantic. The elevation is high. We get not as much Go back to Atlantic. So, you know, we're in New York, Atlantic. So Mm -hmm. that means change in seasons. Of course. You know, like you said, Mediterranean is almost always warm. Right, right. You talk about the snow. Exactly. Change in seasons. Winters are harsh and cold. Is it a shorter growing season or a typical growing season? Typical growing season. I think the lower the, the longer the growing season, the better the wines will be in general. Yeah. So stretching out the harvest time, I think that's a good thing. Right. And we start harvesting in Rioja. Usually we start later than Bordeaux. So Bordeaux is further north right. in terms of latitude, but of course it's at sea level, like New York. Right. We're quite high up. Um, we go up to nearly 600 meters elevation, whatever that might be in feet. Um, so influence of the Atlantic, we get cold winters. Even the summers, they can be hot during the day, but the nights are cool. We harvest late, and we often struggle to get to 13% alcohol for our wines. So. This year, that's going to be different. The 2019 harvest was came in quite high in terms of alcohol. We're averaging 14.5%. That's really quite unprecedented for us. But in general, our wines, the, the, the terroir of Rioja, or the better terroirs of Rioja, would be cooler. The, um, the, the influence of, of winter is, is present for sure. And it's very much, uh, you need to focus very much on the vineyards because there's a, there's a huge difference from one to another. Right. Yeah. In terms of the varietals, you asked me about that. The, the king here is Tempranillo, which is has many different names across Spain. Perhaps Tempranillo is the better known one. Tempranillo is is quite ambivalent uh, as a variety. It can be it can be quite dark if you know how to manage it. But at the same time, it could also produce lighter wines that could be not dissimilar from Pinot Noirs. Certainly those that you can find in, in Burgundy. Right. So it's quite versatile. Yeah. And it ages fantastically. To me, that's that's probably the key attribute that it has. Um, and whites are, I, I mean, there's an interest, but they're secondary as far as how much is planted and Actually, how much yeah. is vinted. There's, there's a lot less white than red, for sure. Yeah. It, 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 white Rioja had its heyday in the 50s and 60s, and it, was, it declined ever since. It's had a bit of a pickup lately, because I think you can make extraordinary whites. Some of the whites that we have in our winery from way back in the day are fantastic. It's just... For some reason, do you know why, why that is? I think I think in Spain, we tend to not care too much about whites. We don't think they're that good, which is stupid. It makes right. no sense. But, but you, you could it. do it well if you put your yeah. <laughs> mind to it. But I quite like our whites. So. so during your tenure, which is enough time, has the issue of climate change, you know, had any impact or everything has stayed 
Well, somewhat level. We, we I mean, talk, harvest time. We think about or? this. We think about this all the time. Yeah, and this year we're clocking in a harvest. We're going to finish this week the harvest. So we're going to finish by late October. Is which that is typical within the range? It's in. It's within the range. In the past, we might have finished. I remember one vintage we finished in December. So it's not unheard of to continue in time. Right. But what I'm thinking is happening now. There's many different things at play. One is happening for sure, which is we we've increased our our our, our vinifying capabilities, so we can harvest more quicker. Yeah. In the past, we had what we had, and you maybe, had to go by what you could handle. Exactly. Now, right. Maybe you're full, and and you, you can't empty any tanks, so you have to wait a bit. Uh, now we increased our capacity, so we could do that. And people get more nervous in general. I, I see farmers because we we harvest. We own 600 hectares in Rioch, which is considerable. But we also harvest the fruit of 250 farmers that bring us their fruit. Yeah? Some of these people have been so coming to us for generations. You have a state-grown grapes and you contract exactly. with, with a multitude of yeah. farmers, like you said. And sometimes the farmers that bring us the fruit, the fruit is even better than what we can produce. Right. Yeah? So I'm very happy to have these relationships. Right, and I'm sure some are long-standing. Oh, yeah, yeah. Some have been there for generations. Yeah. 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 In these vineyards, we would love to buy. But of course, if they're not available to, to sell, well, then we can't. We, the best we can hope for is to have them as suppliers. And what I'm seeing is these guys, in the past, they, they perhaps were more laid back in terms of, well, you know, we'll harvest when we think we're ready. Now they get stressed more easily and they might harvest sooner. And I think in general, that's a sign of the times. You know, people are more stressed. They, they, yeah. they want to get things done quicker. Yeah. I, 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 that's more philosophical than anything. Um, that has nothing to do with climate change. It has to do with, with the times we're living in now. But in terms of climate change, if you look at start dates for the past, since I've been here, 19 years, harvest dates, they have been creeping up. They so have. I think, yeah. And Interesting. Yes, I think there is a trend. But more importantly than that, what we are seeing is freak weather patterns. 2017, for instance, we had a huge frost across all of northern Spain. And nobody remembers seeing that. I talked to people in my family. Some people say, yeah, we saw that in the early 60s once. But it's, it's, it's not unprecedented, therefore. But it's so unique. Yeah? Normally, frost is localized. It might hit a particular right. vineyard, a particular... Um, uh, a particular plot by the river but to have something as widespread as this it's completely un unprecedented I find I, and we get much more hailstorms as well we just didn't see these things so often right. in the past so we are seeing those things yeah it's interesting yeah. how much how many different things are thrown at you you know right. you worry about temperatures going up or down but there's so much in between um, I was going to ask you this later but it's appropriate now um Tell me about your farming practices. And the reason I ask is, is the climate, uh, soil and all that, is it easy to manage? Or, you know, when you farm, can you look at organics? You know, probably not biodynamics. But, you know, what are you doing out in the farm? Do you need anything? Good question. You know, and we, we, we struggle with this because... I'm not putting you on the spot. No, no, on the contrary. We, we, we put ourselves on the spot, yeah? And we've looked at biodynamic. And we struggle with the more esoteric components of that. As, as religious people, personally, I struggle with, with the esoteric components of biodynamics. Uh, I think a long time ago, it would have been considered heresy. Right. <laughs> uh, uh, and even nowadays, you could. But, but biodynamics has, the, has a very good thing to it, which is the organic side of things. And right. that is where we would like to do more work. What we have done is, over the past five years, we have eliminated entirely the use of herbicides. And to me, that is the one thing that is most damaging to, to vineyards or to any crop, really. Right. And we did have some herbicide use, and that's gone. Okay, so we just do things by hand. It took a long time to convince our, our, our farmers, ourselves, that this was worth Doing. So you go out to your contractor guys and say, listen, we want to move in this direction. We, you want to get them on board as much as they'll come on? Yes. But in the end, we can only really convince yourself. You right. know, other people, they can tell you that they're going to do that, but you can't force them to do it. You right. can try and compensate them, right. but even that is, is a struggle. So what we do ourselves, we have eliminated herbicides. Pesticides, we have practically eliminated as well, at least systemic ones. And we are slowly moving towards being organic in as many vineyards as possible as we can but That's that is great. a work in progress and we can't really claim to be organic 
entirely right now. But you want to preserve the earth, the soil. I mean, it's a course, generational yeah. thing. You know, it is. You, you want and to be able to turn back to it and have It's a generational thing. The, the, the previous generations, they, 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 they struggle accepting this. They think if you, if you do this, if you look at organic vineyards, you will lose a huge chunk of your crop pretty much every year. And for me, as a non-technical person, I struggle convincing them that, that that's not the case, yeah? right. because they know much. They know much more than I do, and, and that is a fact. But now, we are moving in the right direction, I think. Now, what about carry that through into the cellar? Are your wines wines that there is a lot of intervention, or well, here's, that's that's a good question, you know, and we often debate. And intervention again isn't always a negative word. Well, in the end, you, you know, know, adding yeah. wood is an intervention, but that's the style, you know, that's not negative. I think you can distinguish, you can draw the line between wines that are made fundamentally in, in the vineyard, where they, they come from a single vineyard. Our Contino is an example of that. Wines that are made from a specific vineyard and that you age in as, for as little as possible, in as little new wood as possible. Right. You use as many, as least sulfites as possible. You find them with the most neutral things that you could find. You could say, yes, that is probably as close as you can get to a natural wine. Yeah? However, on the other uh, spectrum, you have things like champagne. And you have things like, oh, Grand Reservas. These wines, without a shadow of a doubt, these are wines that are made in the winery. And I'm not at all embarrassed to, to talk about this. These are wines that we age in wood for three years, four years. In the past, we even aged them for 10 years. Yes, we choose oak that is used, that so doesn't have too much impact. We try to we try to not have too much of an impact, but ultimately, of course, you're having an impact. Wine is made by human yeah. beings. It's not made in nature. Yeah? Right. You cannot just, it doesn't make itself. You, you, need, to, you need to make it in the winery. We, but well, I, I don't think wood is an intervention. It is in a way, but I mean, it's been done for a long time. Now there's steel tanks and concrete and you know clay and all of that. But that's that's the style. I, I think ultimately, you'd, a heavy-handed wine with too much oak was fashionable a while back. We never did those wines there. We we there was a fashion maybe I don't know 20 years ago with European wines, and you could argue with American wines as well. For sure. Going, for, you know, for power, yeah? Sure. Power over anything. Alcohol, fruit, extraction, new oak, on top of new oak. We never did those wines. And we completely missed out on that fad. We were completely unfashionable when those wines were being made. Yeah? And because we did wines, we, have, we make our wines the same way we did 100 years ago. We completely missed out on these fads. So you just answered my question, because the question was, less you, more the wines of the region, have sometimes been accused of too much oak, yeah. um, higher alcohol. Um, I think there is a push for fruitier aromatics, you know, which was a trademark. Yes. Um, and you could dispute all these, I want you to. And some people even knock that some of the wines weren't that ageable. Well, now, you've already kind of said that, you know, you never went into the heavy oak thing and all No, we, we never knew how to make those wines. And I'm actually, when, when, when I started... So that was less Cune and more wines of the Rioja region. Oh, yeah, totally. I mean, we were, there were wines, that, when I started here, there were wines that were completely fashionable in Spain and in other parts of Spain, other, other parts of the world, excuse me. And those wines were very successful and we were completely unsuccessful in those days. And felt it business-wise? Just well, a little less interest? Because the stuff... Like, you know what Parkerization is. He was into yeah. very big, bold cabs, roans, all that. And wine, winery started making wines, you know, to pander to his taste and all of that. Yes. Um, you didn't jump into that too heavily. Well, no, we, we didn't jump into that at all. At all. When, when I started here, I, I saw these wines. And I said, well, I've been to the U.S. and people are telling me about these wines. Can't we do the same? As 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 a, as somebody coming really from outside, I'd been on the board of directors, but I wasn't really involved in the business. And I asked our wine people, our winemakers, can we make those wines as well? And short answer was no. We don't really know how to make them. Okay. Um, so that was that was easy. But the their big concern and the reason, the way they convinced me is we could try and make those wines. I think we have the fruit to make those wines. Right. And after that, it's it's a stylistic decision. 
But what we don't think we could do is make those wines and have them be um, ageable, have them last over time. Right, that's important. Well, to us, that was key because all the wines that we sell, we age them for a bit beforehand and we expect people to age them for longer. And really, our reputation is based, I would say, even exclusively on that fact. Uh, the, the fact that you can get a bottle of Imperial from the 80s, 90s, 70s, 60s, and if it's been well-preserved, the wine will be amazing. Right. And to us, that is everything. Yeah? Time right. is the only test that counts. So to make wines that won't last over time, that, that would really that would kill us, I think. That, that would be the end of our right. reputation. You, and, you stay the course. Yeah, I mean, other people have reputations built on other things. Yeah? And perhaps we're not sufficiently good commercially or marketing-wise to, 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 you know, to have these other attributes that people recognize. But the one thing that we do have is ageability. And to make these, these fruit-forward bombs that, that, that don't age, that would kill us. So right. clearly we can't go that way. I'm glad that we didn't. I'm very happy about that. Everything comes back around. Yeah. There's a certain interest towards restraint everywhere, you know, in California, um, in France. Yeah. Um, I think that's great. Yeah. Um, so Spain has become an interesting wine country. Totally. You know, Soccer, the Canary Islands is kind of hot now. Totally. Catalonia. Yes. Um, and Rioja kind of stays the course, which is fine. But what changes have you seen in Rioja? Or have you? Well, you talked about, you know, some of the changes, you know, you've made. You know, you've stayed the course. I think Spain has amazing undiscovered vineyards across the country, some of them, some of which have been abandoned. Right. And today we're talking Rioja. It'd be great, Sam, if we can meet at some other point to talk about these other regions, other wines that we're making in other regions. In Nether Galicia, we have discovered and bought abandoned vineyards that we are recovering. And I'm so excited about that because the, the vineyards are truly magnificent. And I'm very happy about that. But of course, there's many other people doing that as well. Right. And you mentioned Canary Islands. That's a great example of a place that's been making wine for, for centuries. And, and people did not know about it at all. So Spain has that. We have that magnificent uh, legacy of old vineyards. At the same time, Spain could also make wines that are less interesting in, in parts of central Spain, and it's best not to focus too much time on those. Right. And Rioja really is sort of the... the it's, it's sort of the benchmark for Spain. It's the equivalent of Bordeaux. Right. And But if you... Whereas on the it one carries hand, the flag. It carries the flag. We, we certainly do that at Cune. But whereas in Bordeaux, perhaps you don't see that many new wine projects because they've been around for a long time and they're so established. In Rioja, you do see new projects, new vignerons doing new wines, some of which are formidable, and I recommend anybody listening to go out and buy them because they're very good. Talk to your, to your wine store or to, to anybody that knows about wine to recommend these. And there's, there's, there's quite a few of them. Right. What we have done in Rioja is to continually buy more vineyards. To, to basically be able to produce a tiny bit more Imperial or to produce new wines, some of which we haven't even presented in the US that we're sort of testing in Spain first. But Rioja, some, some people will tell you that Rioja is one of the top wine regions in the world, one of the top five. I don't know if it's top five, top three, or top ten. But what I do know it is, is that it's extremely diverse and it has fantastic vineyards, some of which the average property in Rioja is absolutely tiny. It's less than three So hectares. your acquisition is through what? Farmers that you've dealt with? Farmers that we've dealt with that, that want to retire. Or winery. And the kids that... don't want to go into it. Right. Or, yeah, or just, it's farmers that retire. People don't want to work in the countryside and live in the countryside any longer. And that is that is a huge shame. I know. But it, it is happening. So what we're trying to do is at least to buy these vineyards and preserve them and and, and bring them back to life. Right. So that, that that's, quietly, that's what, what we've been doing over the past, I'd say, past 10 years. So let's talk about Cune a little. Um, we go back to 1879. Um, you know, I had mentioned in the intro, you're a fifth generation uh, Cune mm -hmm. uh, family member, and only a handful have run the company. Um, so I think one of the things you probably had an eye on was taking the job over, kind of moving forward, bringing it into a modern era. Hmm but not necessarily changing the winemaking. You know, what, when you got there, what did you start doing? What are you doing now? What are the challenges? When I, when I started at Cune, I found a company, 
venerable old company with what I thought were very good wines, good vineyards. I say good wines because often many producers, they have maybe just one vineyard, one, one harvest or two in the cellar. We have four or five always. It's, it's how we operate. The current release of the Grand Reserva Imperial is 2012. That was made seven years ago. It's crazy. So now, now, now we're harvesting the 2019. Um, we're not going to release that until, I don't know, I, in, in seven years' time, eight right. years' time. Yeah, That's so, not a common winemaking thing when so, you talk to most people. Right. Maybe right. Brunello, you know, they leave it around a little longer. Maybe, but yeah. or maybe not longer. Not longer. But they no. leave it longer than we most other it, wines. I think yeah. we leave it as long as anybody. Yeah. Really. So when, when the finance person asked me, so you know how much, how much, how much I'm going to sell of this wine? I said, well, when, when are we going to sell it? And he says, well, I don't know. <laughs> so eight, ten years. Who knows what we're going to sell? Yeah. Not that we're very good at planning anyway. He should know that by now, though. Yeah, well, he's very young. <laughs> okay. So, uh, we're all a bit young, and that speaks to the point. When I started, everybody. I was I was born in 1973, and all the, all the the people running, the people running the the winery, the winemaker, the vineyard manager, the accountant, the one person they had in charge of sales to Spain, the one person they had in sales for export, they're all they had all been working at Cune since before I'd been born. So I thought, wow, this is they're probably looking at this young person taking over the job and thinking, well, what the hell does he know? And they're probably right. I didn't know anything at all. But they were a sleepy bunch of people as far as... I think... They, not incapable yeah. or incompetent, just... There's wonderful stories that, that you hear um, about wineries like ours. But really, I think we did, we, we did not... We were the, the least commercial people you could find. <laughs> there was a fax machine that hardly worked, taking orders. I think it's wonderfully... It was very cute, but... So com- you had a hand in changing that. It was completely Sales unsuited. Sales and marketing to you jumped right into? Well, I asked, what, what is the priority here, guys? What, what is the most important thing in your job? And everybody separately, they would tell you, well, to make as, as good wine as possible. Nobody cared about actually presenting that wine to people and making it known. So I thought, well, this is the one thing that we need to start doing as well as making good wine is to get people to know our wines. Yeah? I think so. Nobody spoke English. Nobody, nobody bothered traveling to, to explain the wines. I thought, this is a shame. There's, there's amazing wines from other parts of Spain and from, from Rioja that, that, are, that are becoming well-known in the U.S. Why, why aren't we doing the same? We should be doing exactly the same as these people. Our wines are as good and our legacy is as important, I think. So we started doing that, and it's taken How? us a long time. By convincing the existing people, turning people over, adding? No, really. I mean, you're shaking the apple cart a lot. If my, my sister started working with me, and she helped me out a lot. I joined the company. I traveled a lot. I wasn't going to. I wasn't going to make the wine because I didn't know how to. So make you the wine, became a least, face of the company that yeah. really never had a face that was willing to. Didn't really have a face beforehand. Right. My uncle beforehand, he 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 was really, he was very much a reserved person. He did not enjoy going out and doing tastings. He's much more comfortable in the winery or in the vineyards, which I think is good. It means we we didn't lose our soul. We we continued to be authentic to what we were. We weren't a marketing machine, and I like to think that we're not that nowadays either. But we need to have a face and we need to explain our wines to people. Otherwise, nowadays people get bombarded all the time by everything on their phones, on the street, everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. How can you expect people to know about your wine if you're not at least trying to, to show them to you, to right. show them to people? Cause so how long did I, it take where you felt comfortable that... I still think, you, well, I think we, we're, still, we're still not there yet. I think it's well, wonderful listen, that we're you've won a wine now. spectator, wine of the year, that's exposure. Well, you see, that was, like, that was huge, and we weren't even expecting to be in the running for that. You know, it wasn't even, I didn't even consider. But those are the organic things. That's right. based on the product being so good, hmm. and now you have, you know, the exposure in marketing. Um, I suppose we do, you're right. But there's still hundreds of thousands of people that like wine that don't know about us. Right. In the US and in, I don't know, in China or in Japan. Right. And we still, it's our duty to get to those people. So that's, so, that, our job is still right in the making. Victor, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I want to talk about, you know, the diverse array of properties and, you know, the wine specifically. Um, and then... I want to subject you to our wine list, and we're going to taste a little wine. Very good. We're talking to Victor Routier from Cune. This is the Grape Nation. We'll be right back.
This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. Did you know that 90% of Wisconsin's milk is made into cheese? And this is not just any milk. When Swiss, German, and Italian cheesemakers first settled into Wisconsin, they chose their new home because of the special terroir of the region. Its soil and water are nurtured by the goodness of glacial sediment, and those elements lend themselves to the very best milk. Today, Wisconsin produces 25% of all cheeses made in the U.S., and Wisconsin cheeses have won more awards than any other state or country in the world. How did they do it? Wisconsin cheesemakers combined their heritage and tradition with nonstop innovation. They were the first state to establish cheese grade standards and the first to require that every cheese plant be overseen by a licensed cheesemaker. Wisconsin is the only place outside of Europe where one can pursue an elite master cheesemaker certification. All of these impeccably high standards mean Wisconsin produces more than 48% of the nation's specialty cheese. Are you enjoying this podcast? Heritage Radio Network has plenty more. I'm Patrick Martins. I'm Brandon Hoy. And I'm Emily Pearson. Together we host The Main Course OG, where we cover food news and culture. Browse episodes of The Main Course OG wherever you listen to podcasts and on heritageradionetwork.org. All right, we're back. We're back with my guest, Victor Arutia. Arutia. Victor is the CEO of Cune, or CVNE, in the Rioja region of Spain. All right, so before you make the wines... They come from vineyards, and the vineyards are in different properties, and mm-hmm. you alluded a few times. There's some nice holdings. Yes. So talk to me talk to me about where you're growing grapes. I mean, you showcase a distinct range, you know, representing different regions. Okay. Um, so we, historically, we have made wines in Rioja, okay? And recently, over the past few years, we are also making wines because we, we have bought vineyards in Ribera del Duero, in Val de Oros, in, in Galicia, in Carva, and I think that's pretty much it. But the focus of what we're talking about today, I think, is Rioja. Right. Yeah? And so let's go back to there's that. There's a bunch of different yes. parts. Right. And in Rioja, like we even we get staggered a bit by this as well. In Rioja, we have four different properties, okay? First one is called Cune. Cune is in, in Rioja Alta. It's one of the first wineries in Rioja, one of the first in Spain, perhaps, and well, that is supported by at least 200 hectares of, of, of our vineyards. And here we make a different range of wines. Go ahead. Um, so, moving on from that, we would move to Imperial, okay, which is perhaps our, our flagship cuvee that is also in Rioja Alta. And that is supported by about 50 hectares of probably our best vineyards. And these, these, these are vineyards, these are high altitude vineyards that, with very low yields that produce what I think is, is the best fruit that we could possibly manage. Moving slightly east, we go to the Alavesa region in Rioja. Now, I'm throwing out all these names that right. most people probably don't mean too much. Yeah? So I encourage anybody listening to please come and see us and visit us in Rioja. What we have is, is, is beautiful. It, we're, we're, hospitality runs through our veins. So please come and see us and enjoy what we have available. So back to, back to my discourse. In Alavesa, we have two different properties. Alavesa is in the Basque country. This is the northernmost part of Spain. It's, it's rugged territory, very rural. And the wines have always been made here in, in Burgundy bottles. In, in, in the past because these wines yeah and they, they are distant cousins I think from the wines of Burgundy they're very fine they're elegant um, they go well with the gastronomy two of the wines that we make two, the winery the two wineries that we have there one is called Vigna Real okay we're celebrating its 100th anniversary wow. next year 2020 very happy about that same as in Preal both, both wineries were, were founded in that year and the other one is Contino Contino is the first single vineyard in northern Spain, I'd say. And for us, it's a relatively new property. It was, the first vintage is 1974, and it's still drinking fantastically. So these, these are also very nice wines. And it's a single vineyard. Again, more powerful wines, but also worth, worth the scuffle, right. I'd say. So those are the Rioja properties. All right, so let's talk about wines. Yes connected to every one of those properties. You mentioned a few, but I mean, to my look and to my count, when you look at everything, going back to 
uh, Ribera del Duero. There's over 30 bottlings, it looks like, 25, 30. Yeah. But the main ones staying in Rioja, or what you mentioned, Cune, there's Reservas, Grand Reservas. Let's talk about, you know, the major wines. Okay. Um, let's th- and let's talk about what makes a Reserva, what makes a Grand sure. Reserva. Sure, yeah, yeah. Let's start, if you want, Sam, let's start with, with Contino, shall we? Okay, yeah. wherever well, you want to go. Yeah, Contino is a beautiful 50-odd hectare single vineyard in, in Rioja, okay? The name means continuous, and this is a tribute to the royal guards, the guards of the kings of Spain that guarded the, the, the children of the kings of Spain, that guarded them over decades in the 15th and 16th century. So it's a historic name, and really the property belonged to one of these guards, okay? The Contino, the, the continuous guard. That is the origin of the vineyard. It's a historic vineyard. Now, people sometimes think, well, you're boring me with history. But it's important. I think the best vineyards worldwide are those that have been tested over uh, over time. Now, of course, in the US, we haven't had enough time to do that because the vineyards are still too young. Right. But over time, you know, when people look back in 100 years, which are the best vineyards in California, that it would be vineyards that have been producing wine for a long time and consistently producing good wine. That, that is the true I test. Agree. Yeah? And Contino has passed that test. Although we have only been bottling wine from Contino and vinifying it in the property since 1974. So 45 years. Which to us is a short period of Relatively time. Relatively young. Yeah. Relatively young, yeah. But the wine, we, had, we bought the wine from the property. We bought the fruit, excuse me, from the property beforehand and we recognize it's, it's extremely high potential. So this wine is different from other wines that we make in Brioja in the sense that it's more powerful. And this is really, we were talking before about wines that are made in the winery, wines that are made in the vineyard. This is a wine that is made in, in the vineyard, okay? It, it basically produces itself, and the task of the winemaker is to, to, to harvest the fruit at the right time, to capture it, and, and to bottle the wine not too long after that. The wine that we have in front of us now, it's Contino Reserva 2015. Is this okay. it? Yeah, this is it. So you're asking before, Reserva and Grand Reserva and all that, what does it mean? It's really the historic way of doing things for us. Reserva to us means that the quality is very high and it's, it's a wine worth reserving away and storing away. Yeah, that's what it means. But do you have a, for lack of a better word, a formula? It's, we, in, it's in oak or some kind of vessel yes. and in the bottle it, it is, for yeah. a set period of time, is, right? In the past, it, it wasn't regulated. You could call Reserva anything you wanted. And, but of course, to us, we had to be careful that it was worthwhile. Otherwise, our reputation would be in tatters. So for us, this really was an extremely high level of fruit that we would age for a minimum of two years in barrel. Two years in used barrels to make sure that the wine will last a long time, okay, once it's bottled. So it spends two years in barrel. People ask me, do, do I need to decant the wines when I open them? So no, it's done all the decanting in the barrel in the past. It's been there for a long time. So decanting doesn't really add to our wines. Much to it. Not, it not, gives it gives the wine a bit of air, which is always nice. Right, but it's but, not but it's not necessary. It's not necessary because right. we don't have much sediment. The fruit itself that in our wines is not that powerful anyway. So you don't need to do that. And with burgundies as well, you don't. You, often you don't need to decant. No. I like to say, you know, decant the wine in the glass. Yeah, pour yourself some wine right. and let it let just, it evolve. Let while it evolve you're in the there. glass while you're chatting away. Yeah, just let let it open up. Yep. Um, which, as we're doing right now with this with this delicious container. We'll, we'll evaluate it at the end of the show. Okay. All right. So that's the Reserva. Is there a Contina Grand Reserva? There is. Longer aging. Longer oh. aging, better fruit. So we need to, we don't do it every year, we do it occasionally. We skip quite a few vintages, in fact, with Contino Grand Reserve, only those that we deem right. to be extraordinary. Um, and we often bottle most of it in Magnum as well to make sure that people save it for a long time. What about, what about the Cune line? Okay, Cune, there's two kinds of Cune. There's the regular <coughs> Cune, right. and we do the, the traditional Crianza Reserva, Grand Reserva, we do a white, we do a rosé. So parts. we talk Reserva, Grand Reserva. Explain what a Crianza is. Crianza would be, if you want, below Reserva. We only age that for one year in oak and one year in, in, in concrete tank. This is wine 
to me, the, the most useful comparison is with non-vintage champagne, yeah? In the sense that you have a house style and the wine does not change massively from one year to another. Right. Of course, the vintage will speak through, but it doesn't change massively. This is wine which is delicious, everyday drinking, have for lunch, have for dinner, drink it as much as you want. What, what about grapes? Do you save the better grapes? Yes. For the better wines? Yes. Even though Crianza's aged a little less? I like to, to say... To keep the cost, you know, at a good value? Well, we produce Crianza every year, yeah? Sometimes we struggle if right. the year is bad. So what we do is, and this sounds great in theory, it doesn't always work well in practice, but a, a bad year, a year which is not good because it's rained a lot, maybe the fruit, some of the fruit didn't go into the, into the vineyard, into the, into the winery in the best shape as possible. Those years, we won't produce any Reserva or Crown Reserva right. wine. So that fruit, which typically would go into the higher wine, will go into the Crianza. So that means there's Therefore, more Crianza that year? Well, maybe maybe maybe, maybe we declassify some of the Crianza right. that didn't make the cut. I think the good thing about old wineries is that they should not vary too much the quality of the basic product. You I see that sometimes. come to expect. Exactly. Not necessarily a house style, but a consistency. I like to, I like to think of a house style. Okay. But 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 you're right. Consistency, I think, is key because honestly, you can have tiny producers that, that perhaps are lovely people that make extraordinary wine when the year is good. But if the if, if one year it's bad, and the wine is bad, well then you disappoint. Do you disappoint people? Right. So, and most people, to be honest, haven't really got the time to follow every winery every year and to know exactly which wines they can drink and which ones they cannot. I think that's a bit unfair. You're demanding too much. From your, from your regular person that likes wine. All right, so we talked Contino, we talked Cune, what, what else? So on top, of, on top of Cune, we have Imperial, okay? Sometimes people call it Imperial, I call it Imperial, which is how you would say it in Spain, how you would say it in Spanish, and it's how we've been calling it for 100 years. And next year, it, we have its, its, its centenary. The wine has been around since 1920. The first vintage that we produced, I think, is 1917. We still have some of that at the winery. Wow. Tasted it not too long ago. It's actually okay. It's very nice. Okay. It's not the best, but it's still very nice. And people get confused sometimes because they say Cune Imperial or just Imperial. They both work. You know, this is not this is not creating some marketing lab. Yeah, it's it's how we did things in the past. Right. So the name is what it is. Okay. You know? And it, it's not it's not perhaps it's not catchy and easy to pronounce and easy to remember, but again, it's a product of time. Yeah? Right. And this to me is the epitome of. Spanish elegance and that's what it should be year in year out there needs to be a style which is respected every year although of course the harvest has to show through and we will only make this wine in vintages that we consider it excellent so this the Cune the Imperial Grand Reserve of 2012 was the wine spectator wine of the year not the, twer- not the 2012 not, which one previous vintage it was a 2004 4 okay. was the that was the wine spectator wine of the right, year. Which, which is a super high honor super and compliment for sure. Oh, of course, yeah. Um, First did, Spanish wine to, to receive yeah, accolade. Yeah, yeah, that's a big deal. A huge deal. That's yeah. a breakthrough for you, the family, the country, of you course. know, everything that's Region, important to everything, you. Everything, yeah. All right, so did we cover the Rioja wines? I it? think so. Okay. Yes. All right, so what I want to do is I want to... Um, subject you to our wine list which is a bunch of questions Mm -hmm. I'll get to that in a second but do you feel at this point that the wines Cune are at a competitive world class level look if you'd ask me I mean you why wouldn't you say yes or you'd say we strive to that of course but you know you travel a lot you drink a lot of Mm. different wines I mean are these if you'd asked me that question 10 years ago I would have said, you know what, maybe not. You know, maybe there's the very best from, from, from France, or from the US, they're above us. Because you know, they sell more expensively, they're better known, their reputation is stronger. So that will lead me to believe that we're not as good as they are. And I do think this is something in our country that we struggle with, thinking that we can be as good as the best. And the fact that we receive that price from, from the wine spectator, naming one of our wines as the best in the world for that year, to me, that and the fact that we have received 100 points, some of our wines from the wine advocate as well, to me that tells us that on a good day, our best wines can beat the best from Bordeaux and Burgundy. Now, if I'd said that 10 years ago, I wouldn't have been comfortable with myself saying that, 
but now I'm convinced it's the case. Well, I, I think you can back it up now. Exactly. You know, I think you know your quality is consistent, scores are important to a lot of people. It indicates from the experts that the wine is performing. Yeah, so you're there and yeah, you I've spoken. Compete. I've spoken to experts, I've spoken to, to wine lovers, I've tasted the wines in the company of both of these people. <clears throat> and yes, probably the reputation is far stronger. Of course it is. People, Burgundy and, and Bordeaux, the Premier Cruz from Bordeaux, Grand Cruz from Burgundy, these are the benchmark wines. and and. And the top wines, they sell for thousands of dollars. Right. We can't do that. And no. It's probably better that we can't. I think the value in Spain is off the charts. You, you know, know and never use the word, I'm not even talking inexpensive or cheap. I just think the, the quality to value ratio, when you look at the cost, it's as competitive or more competitive than anything. Look, I don't know if people follow basketball as much. I do. In the US. And what's the benchmark in basketball? Of course, it's the, it's, it's the US. It's the NBA. It's the best. There's, there's no question. There's no doubt. But Spain just won the World Cup at basketball. Um, a lot of the Spanish players, they play in the NBA, right. and they're very good. The Spanish basketball team could give a good NBA team a run for its money. Yeah, it, Perhaps it could beat a, a very good NBA team good analogy. on a particular day. Good analogy. Over a season? Probably not, but on a particular right. day, yes. Right. Yeah. So <laughs> you want to at least start with that and build from that. Exactly. So. Thank you. I think it, 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 is, it is a good analogy because it's really where yeah. we're coming from. Yeah? It is a good one. And you're right about the U.S. being the benchmark in basketball. We have an Olympics coming up, right. and it just shows you how competitive Spain will continue to be. That'll be a thorn in the U.S. Well, who knows? You know, imagine Spain beating the U.S. in the Olympics. It could right? happen. In basketball. It, could, it, could, it hasn't happened. It could happen. But it, it could happen. It could. And that's, that's what I like to think about our wines as well. Not I that I want to be competitive about this whole thing. I agree. <laughs> should be enjoyable. It's a wine-drinking business. But. All right, we're talking to Victor Rutia. Victor, I ask all my guests a thing called the wine list. It's five questions. They're the same five questions to everyone. Mm -hmm. I didn't prep you on these. I want you to be spontaneous. Don't be long-winded. Um, our listeners are very interested in what our guests drink. Okay. You know, you, you're around the winery, you're around the wine world. You know, let's see what you're drinking. So the first question we ask everybody is, what are you drinking now? What are you drinking as you travel, seasonal? Are you trying things? Are you traveling? What's in the fridge, on your table? Okay, I'm drinking a lot of sherry nowadays. Okay, why? Because it's, it's refreshing. Okay. It's delicious. It's, it's powerful. And it goes well with most things. And I'm, I'm actually doing a lot of travel. And, and it helps to, you know, to give you a, a quick buzz. Sherry is having a moment, too. Not it that is. it ever lost it, but, you know, it's a little more high top. It's exotic and low-key. Anything it's else? One. Champagne. Always? Always. Yeah, I love champagne. All right, those are two good answers. All right, do you have a favorite wine and food pairing? Sort of the goofiest question on the list, but is wine there something a few times a year, once a month, something that resonates? I'd say aged old Rioja and all Burgundy with duck. Okay. Duck. It could hold the fad and the richness and all totally. of that. Totally. You can taste the, you know, the okay. savory. It's delicious. Yeah. But we're talking aged Yes, exactly, yeah. All burgundy. Okay. They're both quite similar in time as well. All right, I think we're going to have to go Spain and wherever else you want to go on this question. Tell me your favorite wine restaurant and or bar. Restaurants or bars that do it well. They have the selection, the people, it's good vibe walking in. Okay, with that wine question, knowledge. I would have to choose... In Spain, Recondo in San Sebastian. Okay. The food is, is, is not adventurous. It's it's traditional Basque and Spanish fare, made to a very high level. Spell so for me? It's R-E-K-O-N-D-O. -E in San Sebastian, Basque country, northern Spain. And the wine list is absolutely phenomenal and very good value as well. If I had to choose one place, I would choose that. All right. Um, do you have a favorite in the States or it's hard to key in on that? Do you know... I'm sure people have will tell you very... I don't want you to be exclusive of anyone. Like, Victor, why didn't you mention me or whatever? But No, but I'll, for instance, I, I love when I'm in the States to go to the traditional steakhouses. Del Frisco's, those kind of places. They're, they're, not, they're not unique and exotic, but no. I love them. And, they all and the experience have, is fantastic. They all have nice wine lists. 
with yeah. lists that pair well to their food. Totally. You know, uh, red, California, I think Rio has So professional, the meat yep. is delicious, the whole thing works, and I love that. It's a wonderful experience. Good call. <laughs> Do you have a favorite all-time wine? When I originally asked the question, it sort of pointed towards the rarest or most expensive wines. It's become more experiential or a story attached to it. What wine, what's an important wine to you? I would have to choose one of our own. And I would choose... But you got to give me the why. I'll tell you why. <laughs> and it would be Imperial 1947. It's a wine that I've tasted quite a few times in the past. We still have a few bottles left at the winery. And this is the wine that I tasted alongside other wines from Bordeaux. Same vintage, 1947. Extremely famous vintage in, in, in Bordeaux. Cheval Blanc, equivalent wines. And our wine... They were different wines, of course different varieties going to them but our wine did probably did better than the rest and to me that clinched it so they, yes we can do it we can beat the French at their game one of their best vintages and I've, last time I tasted this wine was a couple of months ago at the winery with, with one of our guests and it was still formidable so it, it, to me it's that, that is it yeah that's a good one so good vintage year the fact that it held up yeah. All right, last question and see if you can answer this. And it may fall in your house, too. I ask everyone, recommend the best wines around 15 20 bucks U.S. Give me a red and a white. You can give me a region like Muscadet. You can give me a maker. You can give me all your wines. But And I, I always say this. My kids are in their 20s. They can't show up at a party with a crappy bottle of wine for mm. 10, 12 bucks. They're not spending 40. How many examples do you need? One white, one red. Oh, just or, two? Yeah, okay. or if you have a few of each, I'm fine. The okay. more the merrier. Well, we post, I forgot, to, we post all of these answers on our social media. Okay, terrific. If I had to choose a white, I would choose something from, from the Moselle, from, from Nick Weiss, St. Urban's Hoff. Okay, the, I know him well. The, the regular Riesling is affordable and delicious, and I think for somebody that's starting on wine, it's approachable and, and delicious. For red, I would choose Vigna Real Crianza. It's one of ours, so right. I have a conflict of interest here. No, but, no, no, no. I would tell you not to include yours, but you have to. That, I well, think there's a good value there. I think it's amazing value, and more than anything, it's approachable and really easy to drink. And I think that's key for somebody that's starting on wine. And also, if I had to include another white, I would include our, our own basic monopole, Rioja, it's white, Viura, it's about 15 bucks. So Monopole, M-O-N-O-P-O-L-E, Viura, exactly. the great V-I-U-R-A. Precisely, Okay. yeah. That is also approachable, delicious, crisp, and fresh, and great. So it's a crisp, fresh. To me, that's where it should be, I think, with wines. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah? not like a California heavy Chardonnay. It's a very crisp, nice. I think those 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 heavy Chardonnays are very nice. Yeah, but, no, but, but perhaps not to start off but with But so people can yeah. imagine the style. They're right, right. Crispness and all of yeah. that. All right, good job on that. Thank you very much. All right, all right. So we're going to wrap up the show with our weekly wine sip, which uh, I kind of invented so I could taste wines. Okay. Make my guests bring wines in and all that. <laughs> um, so every week we taste a different wine on air. Um, this week Victor was kind enough to bring in a Contino Reserva 2015 and the Imperial Grand Reserva 2012. What do you want to sip first? Should we start with the Contina? Yeah. All right, so we have the Contina. So a nice purple. Yeah, it's, it's you know, there's clarity to it. It's not deep, dark brooding, but it's, it's a very rich color. It's been in Barrett for a couple of years, so the color is going to fade a bit, but it's powerful. It's Tell me wine. your nose descriptors on this. Complex, there's coniferous, there's menthol, there's pine. Mm. This Why? Is, are those trees in the region or it's no, just not necessarily? I think it's just the complexity of the Because there's a wine in yeah. the U.S. Heights. Sure. And it's in eucalyptus trees and it comes in the wine. That's not the case. Here. And you're right. And, but if Heights is power and, and it punches you in the face because it's so exuberant, it's delicious. This is far more subtle, I think. It's Very still much powerful, so. But it's subtle and, and so complex. So it's an interesting nose. Yeah. All right. Mouthfeel. It's a medium. Not thin, not you know. It's medium, medium, medium plus, maybe. Medium plus. It has, it has. It's unctuous. It has depth. It has vibrant acidity. Mm. That's characteristic about our wines, which is great. Which for means food. It precisely means it's a, it's a, it's a food. 
it's a, it's a wine for food. Yeah? And to me, that's a key thing. Long finish. Alcohol is moderate to low, which, is, right. which I like. Yeah, which is the good. finish is very long. It's long, but Around the whole mouth. Yeah, exactly. Now, does the palate resemble the nose, or there's what adds into the palate? I think the palate is, 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 is complex, fine, elegant, well-rounded, ready for drinking. Might be better in a few years. Probably better in a few years. But solid for drinking now, I think. It's drinking well now. But yeah, I mean, any good wine could always use a little bottle of Right. What, what exactly. do we pair with this wine? Meats, any chicken in sauce, pasta. Meats, including beef? Oh, sure, absolutely, yeah. This, roast this, chicken? Roast chicken. Pasta with, with heavier pasta sauce? With heavier sauce, sauce not, not with fish sauce. Mm. Fish, if, you, if, you, if you're talking salmon or anything that's, that's particularly fatty. Oily. Oily, fatty, yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. Ham, Spanish ham, of course, cheeses. Which is by itself. Pretty diverse. Yeah. Um, all right, so that's the 2015 Contina. Yeah. So now we're going to try... Let's try the Imperial. The Imperial. Try yes. Pour all of here. Thank you. We're discarding our wines. Yeah. So I opened this about an hour ago. Okay. I, I don't decant these wines. You know, like I said, I prefer to have them decant in the glass. So... All right, so but this is give them some time to breathe. This yeah. is this is a treat because this is one of your great wines. Yes, this is the 2012 Grand Reserve. When did this hit the market? This was released about six months ago. Right, well, so it's a 2012 ago. that was recently released. Oh yeah, yeah. Which is you know the story. Of and we'll be selling it for a bit, I think, because we skipped the following vintage. Right. It was 2013. It wasn't good enough. All right, so, so color a little deeper, darker. Deeper, darker. It's been in barrel for nearly three years. Okay. That's Grand Reserva. Grand Reserva. Nose. Nose is beautiful in the sense that it's... It is beautiful. It's velvet. If you could smell velvet, of course, that's nonsense. You don't smell velvet. But to me, it reminds me of an ancient European church. That's what it smells of. Yeah? It has antiquity on the nose. Right. It has meat sauce, a bit of, bit of gravy in it. You think, wow, that's weird for a wine. But no, it goes no, fantastically you know well. the Rhone wines or, you know... Yeah, that's... Corotis. It's not yeah. unusual. It's, it's very fine. There's some coniferous here as well. There's yeah. this touch of wood because it's been that in wood for a long time. church descriptor is interesting. It's weird, isn't when it? you but think about it, it's, you close your eyes and you'd get that in a church. Yeah. <laughs> All right, mouthfeel, this is a more unctuous wine for sure. This is unctuous. It's it's pure oil in the mouth. Mm. Yeah. It's delicate. Alcohol is mouth very low. Mouth coating. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Lingers. Very nice. Um, Lingers. Soft tannin. Yeah. Good acidity as well. Good acidity, acidity. there's no sharpness, yeah. the tannins are soft. Um, what about the palate? I think it's just, it, it's the definition of balance and, and equilibrium, yeah? Mm-hmm. It doesn't strike you, it's easy, you could drink as much of this as you want. But you it gotta is be, a very you gotta be careful wine. With, but you could drink as much as you want of this. And to me, there's no higher, there's no higher accolade than that. No, especially for a red that's a very, you know, mouth-filling, unctuous wine. You would think yeah. you would tire of it. This you could drink. I agree with that. What would we pair this with? Game. This any, would hold up to game. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Game. Any, any, any kind of bird that's been aged for a bit. A steak. You can't go wrong. Mm-hmm. Any kind of steak. steak. Yeah. yeah. Whether it's with gravy or not. Right. Chicken as well. Cheese is very similar to the Contino. Yeah. I would hesitate with, with, with most fish. Um, this one stay away from even well, salmon or whatever. Aged, aged red with with fish, it, it tends to it, to me. It reminds me a bit of you know the depths of the sea from whence the, the sea, whence the fish came. Yeah, so right. I, I agree. So that's the Imperial Grand Reserva 2012. This particular wine just hit the market. So here's an opportunity, you know, to drink a barrel aged, bottle aged, you know, mm-hmm. Reserva wine. The Imperial. All right, Victor, we have to wrap up. Thank you, Sam. We covered as much as we could. We could take any one sh- subject and stay on it. Well, people get um, Let so. me do the show close, and then I want to ask you a couple more things. If you have a question, suggestion, wine happening, or event, hit me up at samatthegrapenation.com. That's samatthegrapenation.com. You could subscribe to the Grape Nation podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your pods. Follow us on Facebook. At the Grape Nation on Instagram, we're at S Ben Ruby. On Twitter, we're at Ben Ruby, and both use the hashtag the Grape Nation. 
Um, like I said, I will post Victor's wine list answers. There were some good, interesting recos there. And I will post the wines that we drank today so people could, you know, seek them out. Um, Victor, if we want to find out more about Kune and even follow you around, where can we look towards in social media? Well, I'm terrible on social media, I have to say, but my sister, she does marketing and social media for us at Kune. And so we we have, I believe, Instagram uh, posts, whatever they're called. Okay. Twitter as well. Kune, just look CVNE. For, CVNE Kune, right. you will find it. Okay. So. And you're not active on it. I'm afraid I'm not. I'm really sorry about that. Victor, you got to get into modern times. I know you're right. You know, you're too busy. Next year's resolution. <laughs> All right. Victor, thank you for joining us on The Grape Nation. Um, Victor is the CEO of Cune in Rioja, a great Spanish uh, wine company. Um, thank you to everyone at Heritage Radio. Thank you to our engineer, Jeet. I'm Sam Ben Ruby, and you've been listening to The Grape Nation. The Grape Nation is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network. Food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. And thanks for listening.